I'll just tell you, folks, anytime we get started and I'm hitting the audio cues correctly, you know you're in for a treat because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for another week. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I get to hang out here on Monday nights live on YouTube and talk about poker with my poker friends. My name is Jim Reed. I'm Bluffsterini in the home game and at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. Uh, I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. Uh, one of the reasons I have to thank them is because most of what we do here at Rec Poker is free. We're a largely volunteer-based organization, um, and it, most of uh, most of what we do, you can get involved with without spending a dime. We have a fantastic premium membership here as well for only $15 a month. And if you go over to rec.poker, sign up for that free account today with an email address and a smile. That's all it takes, but we uh, require both. Um, and then you can kind of unlock all the amazing stuff we do around here. Uh, there's uh, premium members, like I said. We got a new one this week. I have to thank William Besant, uh, who got involved. I think they picked us up through a friendly conversation on Reddit. So we get folks from all over. I'm excited to get to know William a little better. Um, and the only other people that you really have to know about are the members of the Wrecking Crew. You get used to hearing my voice on the show on Monday nights, but I'm just one of the people on the leadership panel here, the folks that make it all happen. Uh, everyone here is a Wrecking Crew member. And if you want to find out more about me or the rest of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. But just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right here as well. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I'm John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50, just about everywhere. I'm Troy Chapman, and I'm Chapo Australia in the home game. We're also joined by the one and only Roger Schutte. You've heard his name mentioned on the podcast before because he uh, pitches in behind the scenes to help us out with so much of what we do over here. Um, Roger, I'll just say if you'd like to share your handle in the home game or tell folks where they can get a hold of you, uh, feel free to introduce yourself to Rec Poker Nation. I am Graphic 16 everywhere. <laughs> Look out for him. He's a recent winner, too. I know we're going to be shouting out his name on the uh, at the back end of the show as well here. Um, so uh, without without further ado, like I said, this is the Monday night, the chats edition of the podcast. Um, every week we mention um, we interview a different person of interest from the world poker world. I'm very excited to be welcoming Brandon Ruby on the show tonight. Um, so, Brandon, first of all, just thanks for joining us here on the Rec Poker Podcast. Yeah, you're welcome, Jim. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm I'm already impressed by the the depth of uh, of what's going on here with Rec Poker. So excited yeah. to be a part of it. Well, that's saying something. So um, if folks don't know Brendan, um, you can probably hear from listening in. He's another one of our Australian uh, friends. We've had a couple Australians on the show recently. Troy Chapman, who has been a great uh, Wrecking Crew member here for a while, has been uh, really banging the drum down there. And you've been around the block, man. Um, so if, if, if people don't know about Brendan, um, he's a he's a very successful player. He's done coaching. Um, he's got his. He's he's the host of the a mindset podcast as well. So there's all these different ways that we could kind of like put you in a box, Brendan. But how do you like to define your own space in the poker world? And where where should we be talking to you from the point of view from? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, I, my role has changed over the years in the poker world. Uh, I'm almost 33 now, even though I still look probably 18. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, you know, I started out as a player, um, you know, and uh, really pursued a career in just playing full time for the good part of eight years and then started to coach more fundamental stuff. Um, so, you know, about 2015, I went to more, uh, more of a, a coaching role, uh, more just fundamentals and stuff. Then I just uh, went more into the mindset field and upskilled myself in counseling and coaching um, just mm. to learn about psychology because I really learned that when I was coaching people, um, you know, so much about the game itself is about how you approach yourself psychologically, emotionally, and mentally and all that. Um, and and around that time was when a lot of the GTO stuff and PyoSolver and um, you know, way more training websites started to come up. So. I found when people wanted coaching, they were more looking for that interpersonal uh, relationship um, so they could actually share their lived experiences and almost bridge the gap for all that those difficult, like, how the hell do I even study poker and all this stuff? Mm. So fast forward to now, um, yeah, I have my own podcast called The Australian Poker Mindset, um, just sort of um, having discussions with uh, people from the Australian world and eventually I'll probably do more international uh, players and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, like right now, I, I would say that, um, you know, I'm a combination of uh, a poker coach, mindset, peak performance, co performance coach, 
Um, I don't really play as much as I used to um, because I just have more of a passion of working with people um, and just seeing them kill it on the tables. I really get a <laughs> kick out of that. Yeah, I get that. Uh, well, I'll remind our uh, folks in the YouTube chat, if you've got any questions for Brendan, uh, feel free to type them in the chat there and Chris and I will get to them. And anyone here on the pa the panel, of course, just unmute and I'll call on you. And I'll remind our uh, YouTube uh, listeners, we're going to have our typical contest at the end of the show. We're going to do a, a draw uh, to help raise awareness for food banks in your area. You know, food insecurity is on a spectrum. It's a problem around the world. And the winner this week is going to get a free month of Range Trainer Pro, which is a fantastic training tool. Uh, more on the GTO side of the stuff. So then uh, leaving that behind us, uh, folks, stick around for that at the end and enter your questions in the chat box now. Um, so, Brendan, talk to me a little bit about that evolution that you've been on since you started playing. Um, you talked at first that you were coaching in sort of like the fundamentals. Um, tell me a little bit about sort of what what that encompasses, what kind of skills or problems are you trying to approach at that level when you talk about the fundamentals? Yeah, well, I mean, when I first started doing it, and this was probably eight, seven or eight years ago now, um, I remember meeting with my very first ever um, student and I was so nervous and I was like, what the hell do I even prepare? Like, where do I even start someone? Do I talk about um, bet sizing? Do I talk about, you know, stack dynamics? Do I talk about early stages? You know, I just had no idea where to start. And so I did all this prep and everything. And for the good part of the probably the first year of coaching people, I really put all this emphasis in in coming to the session with all this content. But it didn't take that long to realize that um, people didn't want to be talked at <laughs> mm. in our sessions. So um, I pretty quickly learned that, you know, coming to the session and just talking at them wasn't going to help them. I had to have a, let's call it like a foundation or, or a plethora of tools in my toolkit to be able to bring to them. You know, like I bring my laptop or if we're on Zoom, we do it over that. And where it came up from my client or student, I'd like to call them. That's where I would, uh, what I, what I would call strategically wing it. So if they bring something to the <laughs> session and says that, you know, like, Hey, I, I had this hand and, and this happened and I'll say, okay, well, what I identify here is a stack dynamics issue or a bet sizing issue or, a, or a ranging issue. So let's use some of that content I've got and I'll pull it up and we go through that. Um, yeah. So I sort of, yeah, strategically wing it is how I've figured out to be the best thing with, with people. Um, and then helping them sort of find a, I guess like a platform uh, like whether it be GTO Wizard or whether it be PokerCoaching.com or whatever site that uh, works for them, um, that's sort of like a, a referral thing. Um, probably giving people free plugs here, but uh, yeah, <laughs> no, that that's very that's very familiar. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of our Wrecking Crew members uh, do coaching as well through the Rec Poker community, and you know, we we're also we we stick to fundamentals. You know, most of the people that are looking to us for coaching are, you know, if not beginners, they're intermediates, they're looking to be more serious about it to take the next step. And I think uh, kind of knowing that there's these other resources out there, once we've kind of figured out what what the holes are, you know, that are that are really well set to plug them, that that feels like a great way to, uh, to do it. And that must be very, um, I mean, that must be very, like, gratifying and rewarding as well, uh, as a coach. Um, is that something that you like when you get into the mindfulness stuff i feel like the what am i trying to say the feed the, the feedback isn't as obvious and automatic and so can you talk a little bit about kind of what that is like that that difference yeah so what i'd say here is um what i love about what i do is that when somebody's willing to come to coaching right so they're willing to first seek out a coach, right? That's like the first step. Like, hey, you know, I kind of need some help here and I accept and surrender to the fact that I can't do it on my own. Um, and maybe also I'm quite lonely, right? Because poker uh, has a tendency for us to feel quite lonely because all the people we're around all the time are our competitors. So we don't know if we should be trusting them exactly, right? So we don't know if we can trust them or not. So we don't know who we can share information with because we feel like they're going to just use it against us in the next game. So I think getting a coach is a tremendous idea because, you know, then you can have somebody who you can uh, talk to who you can trust that it's also going to be confidential um, so that that way you can truly um, sort of unload who you really are and what your true experiences are. So when somebody comes to me for coaching, they've already done what I would say to be probably 50% of the work. Um, and that's that willingness to, to change. That's that willingness and openness and vulnerability to say, Hey, look, I've got some, some leaks and I want to plug them. 
what people don't realize when they come to me, I think, is they think that they're going to come and get all these answers. Uh, but what what tends to happen is they realize they probably come with one issue and end up with ten. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. <laughs> and and I don't give them an issue that uh, doesn't also have a pathway to the solution, right? And when I say pathway, I mean that uh, people have to find their way on their own, right? Like it it's not for me to say who someone's uh, true leak, wh- where someone's true leaks are, or true um, character um, challenges are, right? It's up to them to bring them to the table. It's for me to sit here and reflect uh, what they're going, reflect on what they're going through, empathize with them a little bit, right? And you know, I think they can get a true empathy through me because I did have so many years playing at such a high stake level, and also for volumes that were just insane. I reckon I lost ten years of my life probably with all the (laughs) online days and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, they can know that if if they share something that was painful or whatever, I'll have similar things to share that could make them feel um you know uh let, let's say welcome in that space um so yeah that builds a lot of trust and a lot of rapport which is the the next phase to whether the coaching relationship is actually going to work because they need to be able to trust me they need to be able to know that i'm understanding all the things that they might bring to the table right but the confidentiality is that they can say things that they may not tell anyone else right they may not tell their family they may not tell their their partner their friends or whatever so they have this safe space to be able to explore true, deep emotions that that poker triggers. Because as much as this might sound a bit like kind of cliche, um, we're all sort of carrying this inner child inside of us uh, from all our childhood experiences and everything. And poker is such a perfect but dangerous scenario or um, platform where it triggers us. You know, you might have everything from somebody three betting you too frequently to people um, saying things on the table or you multi-tabling online and just, you know, having things trigger you in all different ways. And that little inner child starts to lash out because we haven't dealt with certain things. So I need to have that relationship with my clients so they can feel safe to be able to explore that so then we can know what to do with that. Yeah, and I like uh, you you opened this talking about people kind of making themselves vulnerable. And uh, we use that language here on the show all the time. Um, you know, when people open themselves up to criticism, you know, that's when they're first able to really make those strides. And, you know, you can't ever get better if you only talk about things that you are good at or that you already know the answers to. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that. And look, you know, like I think people also have this sort of binary view in poker that or black and white thinking that there's a right or wrong way of doing things. Mm. And there's just not, you know, there's obviously when you look at EV and 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 making profitable plays, like there's a range of things that are going to be more or less profitable. But again, you know, everyone's in such a subjective experience when they're playing poker that when someone brings a hand history to me, um, most of what goes on in that hand history is to do with the history or the dynamics of what's going on between you and that player or you in that tournament. Um, and so that's a subjective experience where we need to explore that for me to then be able to give adequate feedback and, and um, some sort of, um, you know, direction with that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, um, a really powerful space that, that I can provide for people. And yeah, to come back to what you originally said, it is very rewarding. It's certainly very challenging at times because some people are resistant at times, uh, thinking that they might already have all the answers, (laughs) uh, you know, or maybe they, they think I'm going to give them these black and white answers, but, um, yeah, it's, it's more complex than that. But the, the thing I'll finish on with that, um, part is that. It's just kind of exciting because it opens these pathways that get people. I find that people end up like leaving my sessions or leaving my coaching, um, you know, uh, dynamics, uh, feeling really motivated, like excited again. It's almost like it reignites the poker in them that they kind of lost because they were losing too much or they they were just not playing that well or whatever. Uh, Troy, you unmuted there. Why don't you jump in? So, hey, Brendan. Um, so for those who don't know, I've done a bit of coaching with Brendan uh, on a bit of an ongoing basis, and um, I'll waive some confidentiality stuff here. So um, when, uh, I, I think when we did it, we, we could use a real-life example here of something that we uh, uncovered when uh, Brendan and I were doing uh, the coaching, where was my relationship with money based on uh, what I do for a living, which is financial advice. And I had real trouble either putting people in a position where they would uh, lose money or me over-risking losing money. And I think that's a, an example that I think Brendan might be able to talk to a little bit where it was something very left field because most of the people who do this, if we go past a poker machine, 
um, or a slot machine for the state. So we go past the craps table. We're usually happy to throw money at it. Yet I can't stand doing that. And yet I'm um, addicted to a game that's basically in gambling. So, um, Brendan, could you talk a little bit about that as something that was a little bit left of field that you were able to identify and, and what I was doing? Yeah, for sure. And look, you know, obviously, I guess this is with your permission here. Um, and, you know, the, <laughs> <Go for confidenti- laughs> yeah, the confidentiality thing, I always tell people, you know, from my end, it's completely confidential. But from your end, you know, you have full, full reign to, to, to tell people you're getting coaching and whatever happens in the session, right? It's because it's your session. So with your permission and that the vulnerability around that, let's use that, that, that word again. Um, I'll go ahead, right? So, yeah, look, I mean, that was a very uh, unexpected thing that I think came up for probably both of us um, after it probably wasn't until the fourth or fifth session that that sort of really came to light with you, Troy. And, uh, you know, that relationship with money certainly came out in your game, you know, when I was looking at some of your hand histories and things like that, and you were discussing um, your experiences. Yeah, I, I definitely saw this connection between, you know, firstly, the the fear around making, let's say, high variance decisions or um you know like t- taking lines that were sort of messy in the game uh i think you know sometimes when you let's say pull off a triple barrel bluff it's almost like you disrespect the game or you disrespect your stack or you disrespect your buy-in but you sort of need to have that in your game if you want to win poker in the long term because of the nature of the payouts you know when you've got a prize pool that 30 percent is up top you have to play a style that uh is high variance and if you have a relationship to money that's incredibly conservative and also you also have this relationship with people that your job is to protect them from losing money, well, you're going to feel like certainly restricted from being able to pull the trigger to put them in a, in a let's say, detrimental emotional space, right? And that actually segues me into another um, sort of thing that I think about when I talk about this, which is, you know, when we play poker, we decide that we're all going to pay an entry fee we're all going to get into this game and we have full reign to do whatever we want to each other. And actually 90% of this game is lying to each other. <laughs> so when you think about that, it's like, you know, if you have your friend on the table, you've both paid your entry fee. You're, you're in a game. I would expect my best friends, my clients, my, my colleagues to be lying to me in the game. If they don't, I'll be disappointed in them. But anyway, coming back to you, to, to, to you, Troy, like, you know, what other things came up for you, you know, when you kind of came up with this, well, when we discovered this little bit about you? Well, it was just interesting that I um, wanted to protect people who had uh, money on the table. And I was worried about the fact that the buy-ins that some of those people were playing at was above what I knew that they could afford in their real life. So I didn't want to, oh, we worked out that I didn't really want to, um, uh, bust them or take their money if it was a cash game because I knew that they couldn't afford to be playing at the stakes they were playing. Um, and so it was an amazing thing. And then we actually went and uh, investigated uh, doing um, hypnotherapy in regards to trying to segregate um, with, with Brendan suggested, go get the hypnotherapy and try to separate what you do at the table compared to what you do in life and work. So I went and did three sessions of that, um, and I believe it's made a um, a pretty good difference because now it's I just view it very differently. If people have paid their money and they sit at the table, that's their choice to get there. After that, well, it's my job to try to do what I need to do. So it was it was it was an interesting takeout that's not exactly poker related, but something that Brendan was able to uncover with part of that process. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask Brendan was. Uh, what came up a lot when we were doing our training was um, the differences between a higher buying um, type arrangement and the tournaments and the um, the experience that you have with that compared to, say, a $300 tournament where a lot of the listeners to the podcast are going to be playing regularly in the $300, but they're not going to be playing too many in the $1,500-plus buy-in range. So mm. um, how uh, can you sort of share with everyone what some of the tips and traps and things where you can actually almost trip yourself up by playing in some of these sort of uh, more uh, regular buy-ins, please? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, look, and if I could expose another little thing that we had in our sessions, Troy, um, which might be relevant to this, uh, you, you were sending me a lot of these hand histories that you were playing these micro stakes, um, like real baby stakes, right? In, in, in our initial set, uh, three and five dollar ones. Let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving you the room there to be honest, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, when you were sending these hand histories through, it was very, it was near impossible for me to give adequate feedback because, you know, I'm not here to coach you to play $5 tournaments, right? I'm here to help you upskill to play tournaments. Uh, and look, you know, cash games are a different thing, right? Um, and But the mindset to cash games is sort of similar. Um, but for me, I've always been a tournament player. So when I'm coaching fundamentals with tournaments, it's like, well, look, this is not a true poker game, right? Like what I believe a true poker game is uh, when when there's enough money on the table that people are going to fear it, right? So my soccer buddies always joke with me about this, right? They always want to play against me, right? Hey, let's have a poker night. Let's go and beat Brendan, right? And sure enough, we had a poker night. And sure enough, they all beat me because we only played for 5 and $10. But if any of them put $1,000 on the table, I would destroy their soul, <laughs> right? Because it's a game of consequence, of- right? So there needs to be consequence to your action. And if there's none for five bucks, um, there's just none, right? So it doesn't really matter. I can reload, go again, and do that 20 times tonight compared to a $100 buy-in. Yeah. People and look, mind you, yeah. m- mind you, uh, I've played some 10K tournaments where people tra- treated it like a $5 tournament. So jumping up stakes doesn't necessarily always mean that they'll respect it, right? But you, this is where you have to be hypervigilant and, and pay attention to each individual player and how you believe they view the game and respect the game or how deep their pockets are that you might think, you know, based on the way they talk, based on what job you think they have or whatever, right? This plays a significant part in how you're going to play your hands against these people because this is not GTO. This is far left field from GTO. This is your exploitative stuff coming out. How does someone view the game? How does someone view money? How does somebody, you know, why is that person there in this tournament? That's what's going to um, help you understand how you're going to combat those types of players, especially when you get to the back end of a tournament where you have like, you know, like when you're nearing the money, you've got ICM issues up for grabs and all those types of things. Some people might be, it might be the end of the world if they bubble. And for other people, it wouldn't even be a drop in the ocean. So it's really, really important. Yeah. That's actually sure that, that exactly answers your question there, Troy, but it's <laughs> definitely uh, important to bring up. <laughs> yep. uh, that, that teed me up for a segue here for a second. I, I think Troy probably has more questions. Uh, but for the second, this is something that we do talk about here from time to time. When it comes to game selection, stake selection, it has to be high enough that it is meaningful to you, but not so high that, it, that you're making mistakes because you're playing a scared money. Um, so Brendan, let me ask you, how, how should our listeners decide where that threshold is for them? Like what, what can we do other than just like visualize being at the final table or, you know, cause everyone has different bank roles or budgets. Everyone has access to different kinds of events, different skill levels. Um, I want to resist the urge to just say, well, if you make a hundred thousand dollars in a year, this is your buy-in. If you make $50,000 in, in a year, you know, um, what kind of. What how, what can we do to ourselves kind of figure out where is our comfort zone when it comes to buy-ins or stakes or payouts or that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, look, it's a it's a great question and a, and a very complex um, one to break down because there are lots of lots of things. Firstly, I'll say that I'm certainly not the right person to come to when it comes to financial advice. Maybe Troy will be your guy. For that. <laughs> yeah. um, what I can tell you though is that when it comes to poker and sort of looking at the games you're playing, the first step is probably an expect an understanding of what level of respect to the game you can expect. Right. For example. Three and five dollar ones online are going to be pretty much nothing, right? And you have no idea if um, somebody's fallen asleep at their computer or whatever, right? right? Um, when when you get to say twenty to say fifty dollar buy-in levels online, that's probably equivalent to your three hundred dollar live games, I believe. So your twenty to fifty dollar games are pretty respectable games, especially if you're playing fields that have a thousand players in it or whatever. You're still going to get some juicy little prize pools. One in the back end, first prize might be 10k for a for a 30 or 40 dollar buy-in or something like that. It's still going to be a really decent game. So that's before we even consider what your bank what what your bankroll might be or anything like that. Um, but yeah, like to understand that those stakes are going to have a certain level and expectation of how people are going to um, value the game or treat the game. 
Um, then when you go from 50 to say $200 buy-ins, that's where it starts to get real quite, really quite tough, you know, and, and people are going to be playing at a pretty high level. You can expect them to be probably using, you know, their HUDs, right? They're going to be studying the game. Like that's where it, it does get a bit higher. And then, you know, when you start going higher than that, anything higher than 200 online, I would, I would consider actually probably this would be an, you know, people would, would argue against me here, but they're, they're your nosebleeds in tournaments these days because. Mm-hmm of the quality of, of players that are in them. Um, so yeah, I think when you look at that, that's the first thing to understand, to know what game you're getting yourself into. The next step is the money management and bankroll management side of things. Everybody has different views with this. Some people set aside only poker money and they never touch their real life money or other business money. Um, some people kind of convolute the two. Again, I'm not here to give tips on that, but what I will say is that when it comes to tournament selections based on your bankroll, the best tip I would ever give is to not play a tournament that first prize is bigger than your bankroll. Mm. So what that helps for you is it helps you also choose player field. People don't often talk about um, player field when they think of uh, bankroll management and tournament selection. So, for example, if you're playing $22 tournaments and you have $200 in your bankroll, obviously you've got about 10 buy-ins there. You wouldn't be playing tournament uh, sizes that have a 1,000 people in it because there's so much more variance in that. But it, but if you only are playing sit and goes, it's like, well, you only have nine play, eight plays to beat. So that's sort of an okay little bankroll to get going, right? So that's a good, like really easy calculation to, to figure out what variance your bankroll can handle. I really like that answer about not entering tournaments where first prize is bigger than your bankroll. I, I've never heard that uh, way of thinking about it, but I can see I can see why that would be would be a good strategy. I know Chris has a question, but one more for you from me before we get there. Um, so you've played in a, in a wide range of of different stakes and different uh, buy ins and that kind of thing. Um, can you tell us a little bit about sort of like what are the strategic differences or techniques that you might employ at like a three hundred dollar live tournament versus at a fifteen hundred dollar live tournament or, or a high roller or something like that? It's easy enough to say, oh, well, they're this one's full of regular wrecks, and you know we're gonna. You know, uh, you, well, you tell me. I don't want to put words in your mouth. The the two sure, different sure. levels of play. How how do you adjust, or how would you tell other people to adjust? Probably the first thing to consider is that obviously the lower the buy in, the worse the structures are going to be. Mm. Right? That that's a pretty significant one, right? They just don't have really deep structured tournaments for like lower price points, um, because you know casinos and operators just don't have the manpower for that. It costs them a lot of money to have dealers, and it costs them a lot of money to have uh, venues uh, to hire and. You know, and if, if it's a casino putting the game on, you can sure as hell hope that they, uh, you can sure as hell bet that they would much rather a cash game be going on than a tournament game, right? Because of the rake they can make. So that's the first consideration of, okay, well, the buy in, you should really be looking at the structure of the tournament first and foremost to know how to make your adjustments going into it. Obviously, if you're playing like a $1,500, uh, you know, multi-day tournament or something like that, then you can't win the tournament on day one. And the structure actually probably is only going to have average stack at three times the starting stack by the end of day one. So those are pretty simple, but key um, starting points, I would say with this stuff. Um, and then I guess I, in terms of like the player field and, and how you're going to sort of navigate through that, um, look, it's it's a really tricky one to answer because, I literally just had a session with, uh, with with one of my clients before this call, and I was saying that you you sort of like I would never give any advice on someone on the day going into a tournament. Often people say, "Hey, Brendan, I'm going to play this tournament. Any last words?" And it's like, "Well, no, because you've done all the work uh, up until this point. Um, my last words are to focus on your mindset and your well being, so that you're fresh, so that you're calm, so that you're collected. You know, it, w- with whatever that means for you." Um, but I don't know who's going to be on your table. I don't know if you've got history with these players. I don't know. Like the only thing you can predict is the structure. So, you know, it might be worth looking at and projecting yourself into the, the structure of the tournament, knowing whether it's going to be a turbo or a semi or, or a super turbo or a, or a, or a grind or whatever, right? Like they're, they're the key things that you can predict. Um, but you need to have that. What I, what I used before, you need to have that ability to, to strategically wing it in your games with all the tools you've been learning right yeah i like that that's good advice uh chris jones 
Yeah, Brendan, I kind of wanted to shift gears a little. I mean, since you you have a podcast on mindset, um, I think when I talk to other players, particularly less experienced sort of recreational or amateur players, um, I hear a lot of different takes uh, about what even mindset is. For some, it's sort of the idea of, well, I, I exercised and I meditated and I slept well the night before the tournament, so my mindset's good. For others, it's sort of like this idea of like, well, I just have to manage tilt in all its forms. I've got to manage how I approach variance and how how it, how the game comes at me, and then I'll be fine. Uh, for others, it's sort of like I have to be able to manage the people around me and sort of understand like those dynamics. And maybe if somebody's being rude to the dealer, just kind of play my game and not get involved in that kind of stuff. I'm kind of curious, maybe it's all of those things. Maybe that's what in, in sort of your definition and sort of mindset, but I'm kind of curious about like, how do you define, you know, mindset for a, a poker player? And then what are some of the, the, the best things for people to focus on if they're wanting to, to improve that part of their, their approach or their game? Mm, mm. Th- this is probably one of my favorite uh topics to to explore chris like what a great what a great thing to bring to the table like i i really what i think about po- poker right this is how i view poker poker is the the perfect game that depicts life right you have so many similarities and this is why it's such an attractive ex- uh an att- attractive space to stay in for so long you know i think troy mentioned being addicted to this thing it's like well of course it's addictive it depicts life in one of the most exciting ways possible, right? We have variance, we have skill, we have psychology, we have emotions, we have, you know, this roller coaster, you know, like, which is variance, I suppose, um, you know, and it maps it all out in this, in this field that's, that's kind of fun and, and attractive for all those, those, those reasons. And then the key thing here is when you win, you're getting rewarded by money. And also, which is more rewarding to most people I've found, which is a surprising, a surprising discovery for me over the years. What's more rewarding for people is the social recognition. So that's the difference between, um, what Stephen Kotler, who wrote the art of the impossible, uh, called intrinsic and extrinsic motivators. So it'd be helpful for people to know what their intrinsic and extrinsic motivators are. So an intrinsic motivator might be, well, this feeling to inside of me that I need to be recognized for my skill. I need to be recognized for my abilities. I need to be recognized by, it might even be, actually often it's as close as I need to be seen and loved by my dad, my mum, my siblings, whoever raised you. And I know, and I, this may be completely new to some of your listeners, but this may be heard a thousand times. But that is what we carry at our core. These are our core beliefs. You know, maybe I'm I'm invisible to my parents. I'm invisible to my 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 family, my siblings, my community, and I need them to see how cool I am. I need them to see how fucking awesome. Sorry, I probably just <laughs> no, that's all right. No, you're yeah. not the first. <laughs> yeah, so it's like you know, I I need them to see how amazing I am, right? So it's a it's it's something to do with self esteem. It's something to do with self worth. It's something to do with confidence and all those things. And again, you know, people don't get attracted to poker thinking this, but this is exactly what's going on. And Chris, you just mentioned all these things that could happen on the table that, um, or, or in the game, um, that, that happened to us, but that they're the triggers, right? The triggers of sitting down and, and playing and having these experience happen that make you go on tilt or make you make decisions that are irrational. Cause, you know, now we're tapping into like a biochemistry thing, right? So as soon as you get triggered emotionally, that's going to override any rational brain. So that's why I'm so passionate about the mindset side of things because the way I see mindset is, well, we need to have two things, right? We need to have an, a relationship and an understanding of who that inner child is inside of us, right? The second thing is we need to have a really, really deep, big toolkit of um, practical things we can use off the table and on the table to be able to manage that inner child that we have that relationship with. So I can give you a little, a little example um, just of what I've been doing in the, la- in the last month. So I took myself to this three-week um, trauma-related center where they treat uh, childhood traumas. And I've been meaning to do this for a long, long time, but it's it's a very intense program. So finding the time and, and whatnot to be able to go and do it was was quite hard. But I found it. I got myself there handed in my phone for three weeks. Uh, they didn't give me sugar. They didn't give me caffeine. There was there was oh no, I couldn't even take a novel, right? So it was only self-help books, right? 
every day we had six or seven hours of different forms of therapy, group therapy, um, you know, um, workshops and all these types of things, right? And, you know, what I learned about myself was so profound that like I feel like so much better. It's almost like I've had this battle for like eight years of trying to understand my own personal uh, demons or my own personal triggers, right, that happened on the table. Um, and, you know, I've gotten some of the way over the years, but now it's almost like, well, I've done the most intense form of going to the bottom of the elevator inside of my psyche and finding who's in the basement and what's going on there because that little guy in there is usually a little boy or a little girl, right? Like that's those childhood experiences are getting re-triggered in poker. And it's, mm. it's very, very helpful to know what's going on there so that you can know what to do with it. Does that answer yeah. your, your question there, Chris? <laughs> yeah, Chris is muted, but it sounds like he, uh, he thinks that he sounds like we were on the right track there. That's great. Uh, in fact, we got a comment here from the YouTube chat from uh, Arnold Barron saying he's got a million questions, but we should do a whole other, we should do a whole nother show and just talk about strictly the mental uh, side of poker because it's the hardest part of poker to deal with. Uh, yeah, absolutely right there, Arnold. Um, and Brendan, do you feel like at this point in your career, you're like, are, how, how involved is the actual like strat poker strategy element uh, of what you're talking about? How relevant is that? And how much is it just so, sort of like the meta game? and the way that you approach co competition and performance and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Look, I would say that if, if anyone sort of sort of knew or, or halfway through their poker journey, let's say, um, and sometimes time is not really the best factor of measurement here because mm -hmm. it's more about how much time you've uh, spent playing rather than time itself, you know, like the person who's grinding four days a week of eight hours versus one day a week, one tournament a week, right? Like some people I work with, it's like they play one tournament a week, you know, and then they think that after two months they should have results. It's like, that's only like eight tournaments. Right? <laughs> right, right, so, right. so what you do with that time is so important. Um, so what I would say here is probably like 20 to 30% of your game really should be a decent foundational understanding of GTO. So this is what I would say is your ultimate defense so it's almost like if you were being trained as a boxer, you don't learn how to start throwing punches straight off the bat. You got to learn how to protect yourself. So you learn how to protect your face, your, your, your body, you, you know, all these movements and stuff. That's what the foundations of GTO are. So what I mean by this is quite simply, even though it's complex, all your starting ranges at different stack depths, all your big blind defense stuff, all your three bet ranges versus certain things. Um, and then identifying different types of board textures and how that matches up starting ranges and then how we're going to basically go through that process, right? So that's sort of your 20 to 30% foundational stuff because that also entails a bit of, uh, um, you know, ex exploration around bet sizing and whatnot as well. Once you have a pretty decent understanding of that and you've gotten leaks out of your game, such, such as like limping too frequently or calling raises um, in horrible positions with shorter <laughs> stacks and you know things like that once you sort of have those things which are 20 to 30 percent of your game the the rest of it starts to become more exploitative because when you start to get to let's say um back end stages of the tournaments or even like if you get to turn and river situations that's where a lot of the information is kind of out there and now it's about how you've really identified how you can exploit the other person so it becomes about exploitative um, I think this is my hypothesis at the moment with poker. I think we've gone from, let's say 2010. I don't know how many of your listeners were playing poker then, probably all of mm -hmm. them, but 2010, mm -hmm. uh, it was very pre-flop, a lot of pre-flop aggression, three betting, four betting, five betting. Um, like I remember games where I was putting in five and six bets with like, you know, seven King seven and stuff, you know? Um, it's a monster. then it went, then it went very post-flop because people were realizing how much variance was in this pre-flop game and how spewy it kind of was for our bankrolls. Um, around 2014, 2015 was when all the GTO solvers and stuff started to really come into play. And then that's what the game has been kind of focused around. But I think we're doing a full lap and I think we're getting back to exploitative play. It's back to small ball, back to exploitative pay, play. People are checking back flops a lot. People are betting like 10% pot as a C bet. Um, it's, and things like that. So I think it's good news actually for poker because it's, it, it comes back to the exciting person versus person experience rather than robot versus robot. 
Yeah, and you know, we all all the great players talk about poker as a game of adjustments, adjusting to the play at the table. You know, if they're doing X, you do Y. And so there's always that's one of the things I love about the game is even if it's even if we solve it, um, it's still going to be a different set of people around the table every time, you know, um, variance matters. I, I love seeing all these people that are just like randomizing every decision. It's like, well, come on, man, come, come, come back to us. If you're randomizing every decision, um, how much strategy can even go into it? Um, well, so we, we talked, uh, sorry to interrupt you there, Jim, no, but please, often please, you, get, you get a lot of people who come to poker from other games, right? So they've come from backgammon or they've come from chess or they've come from bridge or something like that. And I don't know a whole lot about those other games, but from what I've heard, those games kind of get to a point where you kind of hit a roadblock where you just, mm. you've, you've done all you can. And it's just about, you know, being in the best headspace. But I think the variables in poker and the excitement around that is what brings people and keeps people in poker for much longer than other games. Yeah. Yeah. It's that uh, they called it something. Um, it's almost like the same algorithm that, that like social media or a poker machine might have, right? It's this randomized concept and they've done these you know experiments with rats and stuff around like like if you they press a button and random things come out they're going to be way more attracted to that than boring things and then less likely Mm. to take the hit of cocaine or whatever they put in their little stuff like that right we need (laughs) this randomized excitement or about about our life which i think poker poker provides yeah yeah and i think it's that mix of sort of um uh, the, the math of probabilities, but also the chance of probabilities, you know, like even getting yourself into a good position, uh, you know, aces lose preflop all the time. You know, it's just not one of those things that you can kind of just get bored and count on all the time. Um, yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned sort of starting with GTO as defense. I'll just remind our audience uh, we're going to do our food bank raffle in just a few minutes at the end of the show here. And someone's going to win a free month of Range Trainer Pro, which is a fantastic tool when it comes to drilling for ranges and that kind of thing. Um we mostly talk about no limit hold'em here on the show. That's kind of the the, the mainstream poker game. Um, is most of your experience in no limit hold'em, or do you dabble in PLO or other mixed games that kind of thing as well? No, look, I I I pretty much stayed in no limit hold'em. Um, I did last year. I did win a small PLO tournament here in Australia. There was only like forty people, but yeah, I mean, if I'm playing PLO, it's more of a uh, I'm just the fish, kind of like dabbling. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I understand pretty well what's going on in PLO. I just sort of, I don't know, it's a bit of an outlet for me. So I'm certainly no no, no one to look to for other, other games. I've always kind of yeah. wanted to, but they never got like bigger or exciting enough that, you know, Hold'em was just the thing to stay to for me. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, and you've had some great success with No Limit Hold'em. So can you talk a little bit about um, some of your biggest wins, uh, some exciting times for you on the felt? Like, I don't want to I don't want to dox you. I've looked you up a little bit. You've got um, some impressive results on Hand and Mob. And um, I know at your age, it feels like you've played a lot of poker. You've you've established quite a resume here. What were some of the more exciting moments for you as a player? Look, I'd probably say I, 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 would, I would say that I have two like significant really big highlights um and that's not necessarily just because they were for the biggest amounts in in the tournament but more just the experience around it so the first one was about 10 years ago now um i was 22 and i got heads up with timothy adams in the four max tournament at the wsop Mm. um the four max format only really happened for a couple of years in a row and then i think they realized they just didn't have the dealers and the manpower to run the tournament like that with only four on each table um but man, that was that was a visceral experience. Like it was just, it was, um, you know, at the final table of five, it was like an unofficial table. It had like uh, Tony Gregg. I don't know if anyone remembers him. I don't even know if he plays anymore. Um, we had um, Timothy Adams. We had Greg Merson on the table, who was mm. also, that was the year he won the main event and the 10K6 max. <laughs> um, so this, you know, here I am, this 22-year-old kid on the final table, you know, with all these like pros. Um, and you know, four max is, is a pretty raw form of poker. I remember, um, we were so deep stack, like we were like a hundred big blinds deep going into the final table because chips were just constantly flying. We're in a stage of the game where there were pre-flop action was a significant part of it. So like it was a deep, long final table. We're on the mothership, you know, in Vegas, like the, the, the main (laughs) stage. Um, I had some friends and stuff from Australia there railing me, um, you know, and the people at home were watching and you, you get this overwhelming, uh, overwhelming, uh, support from people in Australia 
we have a really cool community here, which I'm sure Troy can vouch for as well, where, you know, if someone's doing well, uh, you know, out of our, out of our country, we all get on the bandwagon, even though that person's probably crushed us in tournaments in other stages. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's really cool. So, so that experience was really cool. Um, I got second in that to Timothy Adams and, um, you know, I was, yeah, it was, it was such a huge, huge result. It was for like 250,000 US or something at the time. Amazing. And first, but first, you know, was the, was the bracelet, right? Like that's the dream. That's the, the, the gold, the gold medal for us as poker players. And I always really strive to, to go for that. Um, and so to get that close and not get it was, was pretty, was pretty gut wrenching. Um, mm-hmm. but it didn't take long for me to, to settle in, in my victory anyway for second. Um, so that was really exciting. That was, that was definitely a highlight. And then the second one, um, happened about five years later, um, here in Sydney, uh, in my hometown here, uh, there was a WSOP circuit, uh, tournament. Um, actually it was 2016. They had the same circuit, uh, in December and there was a 5k event, which had about 230 people in it, which I finished second in. So I got, I got second in that for 180 or something, which was kind of cool, but also like I was a bit disappointed because the guy offered a deal and I didn't take it. And then I lost. And the next year I was blessed enough to have a, a run again in the same tournament. It was about the same amount of people and I managed to win it. So. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so the next year i got back-to-back final tables second one year and i won it the second year wow. i also didn't make a deal uh but <laughs> won it this time and actually the reason i didn't make a deal which makes the story even kind of um, funnier was i, th- I kind of thought in my character I, ha- I had matured right so i said to the person heads up i'm thinking to myself i'm not having what happened to me last year happen again because it was about 100k difference so i offered a deal i remember saying hey do you want to make a deal we'll just you know do icm or whatever and he was the one who said no to me. And then I kid you not, in the very second hand, I had queens, he had jacks. We were all in for like 60 big blinds each. And I flopped a queen and that was it. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a five-hour heads up battle. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. So, And the best part about that as well was because it was in my hometown, I didn't have people messaging me. People were there. I had my my family were there. I had three of my siblings there and partners, and that was really special for me. That's great, um, and good for you for being able to bounce back like that too. Like people talk, I don't think people understand how crushing it feels to come in second in a large poker tournament. They're like, "Oh, cry all the way to the bank, Mister Two Hundred Thousand Dollars." But like, only one person gets to leave yeah. the poker room really smiling. I think, yeah, Chris, is that a well? I, and I don't know, Brendan, if you've if you probably have because you've dived into psychology and stuff, but um, there's a whole phenomenon about the silver medalists. Did you, are you familiar with this? The kind of silver medal phenomenon that if you ask uh, Olympians like years later, the gold medalists are obviously really, really delighted and happy. The bronze medalists are like, you know, overjoyed because they were one place away from not meddling at the Olympics, but silver medalists have uh, like a much more likelihood of having depression and they struggle with like the thing. Cause they were so close to the gold or whatever. So like this, it is a, that is a, like a real dynamic that people have to wrestle with that kind of like that second place thing. Well, look, I, I haven't heard it in that um, analogy before, but I am not surprised because what that is associated with is grief, right? So you've got this grief around, I got so close to an experience and my, it's almost like your body, your heart, your mind, your soul has believed that you've won it. And this happens in mm. poker a lot, by the way, even to the point of entering a tournament. I still have this. If I enter a tournament, I expect to win the tournament. Anything <laughs> less and I am in pain, right? So we have this like, it's almost probably like the gambler's fallacy, right? But yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that, Chris, because yeah, if you come second, you you had something almost psychologically and and physically and and emotionally and then it gets taken away from you and it's and it's it's big because you know you spend years and years and you're the only one who knows all those hours you put into grinding and all the heartache and all the difficult conversations with your partner and your family if it doesn't go well and all these things and then you get so close to a huge result like that and for some people it may be a once in a lifetime opportunity for a result like that so you may never get an opportunity to redeem that I want to leave your listeners with a bit of gem here. If that ever happens to you, or if that's something that you feel fearful of, just know that the people who get those gold medalists, the gold medal or or whatever, 
it's very hard to stay motivated after that. If you get your silver medal and you feel this like, oh, you know, depression and uh, use that as a catalyst to push you forward, right? Use that as something to, it's almost like that inner child, right? Like make friends with that, like become close to that. Don't push it away and then sit there for years and years in this this depressive catatonic state, right? It's only going to hold you back. I actually believe that coming second in things will help propel you to achieve more of those experiences and just have a better character development. So it's 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 painful, but it's something you can use as a catalyst for sure. I like that. Well, in, in the game of poker, just like in the game of life, you know, we're we're always trying to ascend. You know, we haven't passed the finish line yet, so there's always an opportunity to be better and to do better. Um, and we've always got that to look forward to. Well, uh, Brendan, this has been a wonderful conversation. I know I've picked up some some gems here. Um, why don't you tell folks? Just uh, don't be shy. Tell folks where where can they sign up to work with you? Where can they learn more about you? How can they subscribe to the podcast? I think some of our listeners are going to want to get more Brendan Ruby in their lives. So let's make it real easy for them. Yeah, cool. Look, I mean, um, I love that you say more Brendan Ruby. What what I like to view as myself is more of a channel to what they can get more out of themselves. So to be mm. like, if you subscribe to me, you're actually subscribing to you right? That's, and I'm just a portal to help you, you know, guide you on that, on your own journey. Um, yeah, look, uh, so, uh, you can go just, yeah, to my website or email address. Uh, so it's brendanruby.com, uh, B-R-E-N-D-O-N-R-U-B-I-E. Um, and that's my Gmail address as well. So brendanruby at gmail.com. I mean, it's pretty easy to find me on social media as well. So you can just go to Facebook or Instagram um, and just, yeah, just search my name, just Google me. I feel like people know how to find people these days. It's, it's true. And make well, sure everyone it, checks out Australian Poker Mindset podcast as well. Yep. And we'll put the yeah. links to, uh, we'll put all those links in the show notes here. So if you're listening at home, I mean, A, if you're listening at home, why aren't you enjoying this podcast recording live on YouTube every Monday night? Come on, type your questions in the chat for our guest, win a prize. Uh, but since since you've made a different choice and you're you know commuting right now or you're painting the side of your house or whatever it is that you're listening to this on audio afterwards, uh, you can just head on over to the show notes and you can click uh, those links and, and get a little more of uh, Brendan Ruby being a portal for your own better self uh, recursively, infinitely into the future. Um, all right. Well, uh, Brendan, thank you again. This was a real treat. Uh, I hope we get to cross paths again soon. And um, if it's not uh, over here, it's going to be it's going to have to be over there. So we'll make something happen sometime soon. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone at uh, at Rec Poker. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure. Um, it's nice to be on the other side of a podcast and know what that feels <laughs> like, actually. So, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Cheers. Well, I'd say have a good night, but I know for you, have a great day. uh, And I'll look forward to the next time we get to talk. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Jim. All right. So, uh, folks, we got a fun comment from Jack LaRue here saying, yeah, if you get second, um, John Zomsky does not get to say your name on the podcast. That's a good point. I know that's a uh, that's a real that's a real incentive for a lot of our people in our home games here um, to get that famous John Zomsky shout out on the pod. Uh, so, John, why don't we actually start with that? We'll give folks a, a few more minutes to enter the words "food bank" into the uh, into the chat. If we don't, if we only get a few, I think I'm just going to give everyone a free month at Rec Poker, and uh, we'll save that Range Trainer Pro until we get more people typing the word "food bank" in there. Because the problem of food insecurity isn't going to solve itself. <laughs> Lord knows, <laughs> typing the words into the YouTube chat that's going to do wonders, folks. So uh, while John's talking about some home game results, we'll let some people take one more crack at that. Thanks, John. Well, uh, we'll start off with someone who doesn't really need to win anymore. His ego is plenty good enough. Go for boy TJM. Oh, no. Won the <laughs> Mixed Game Championship Series on Wednesday the 8th, winning the Deuce to seven, single draw, no limit uh, game for his first mixed victory of the year. Amazing. And uh, uh, yeah, Taylor, we're all thinking about you. I know uh, you had a, a, a furry family member uh, move on this week and you're in our thoughts. And I'm not surprised that you were able to channel that into a fantastic performance on Wednesday night. Congratulations. Then uh, Shamu. 27-140, Roger Lamp got his first nightly victory for the year. Graphic Roger. 16, Roger Shooty, who's 
looking right here, right at me right now. We got back-to-back Rodgers. Got his nightly first nightly victory for the year. Amazing. Ozzy 8 got his first nightly victory. Nice. Chatty Cat got his or her first nightly victory for the year. Isma got his first nightly victory for the year. And none other than Rabman50 won the Daily Mixed event for the first time this year. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. What I was the game? What was the game? Uh it was PLO. PLO. Oh. I didn't so know the... you were a PLO hound, Rob. Well, you know, you gotta get lucky. You know, even a blind squirrel find an acorn or not. <laughs> oh, that's not true, Rob. You've told me that PLO is one of your most no, commonly it's... played games online. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Besides no limit hold'em, it's PLO. I don't play any of these other crazy games, but I do play a lot of PLO. <laughs> That's awesome. Then we have uh, Keck Geek. That's Keck Geek Senior. Mm-hmm. Got his first international victory for the year. And Babker, Michael Babker, got his first international victory for the year. And E. Anderson A85, Eric Anderson, won the LPP event. So he can wow. contact Jim at Rec.Poker for his go. free month at Learn Pro Poker. Beautiful. Well, yeah, don't be a stranger. There's a lot of great stuff happening up over there. Um how cool is that? So a lot of friendly uh, faces winning the home game series recently. That's great. And if folks, well, uh, yeah, please, John. Well, I was just going to say, and, you know, speaking of none other than Taylor Moss, the leader of the Marek Madness crew, keep in mind that you have just until March 1st to get your picks in for who's going to win Marek Madness. So go to bracket.com rec.poker and you can put your picks in and then post them in the uh, forums there and the winner will get some sort of prize mm-hmm. and, and join want... us every yes. Thursday night uh, join us every Thursday night in March and you can watch the matchups we're going to have commentary we can see who's uh, moving on um, it's always a really fun time so it, come join it really us. is yeah, it really is. If folks want more details, you can go to rec.poker slash Marek. That's just rec.poker slash M-A-R-E-C. And there's all the details there about choosing a bracket, making your predictions, uh, posting it in the forums. You can watch some uh, highlights of the commentary and the, the stream from last year. And then, yeah, every Thursday in March, uh, 8 o'clock Central, we'll be streaming that at twitch.tv slash poker, And that's going to be a lot of fun. So if anyone gets a perfect bracket, we are going to do some kind of wonderful prize. I don't know exactly what it'll be yet, um, but that's the, that's one prize out there. And then if no one gets a perfect bracket, we'll do a kind of lesser but still fun prize uh, for the best bracket that made it through the uh, the most most correct of all the of all the ones, even if they don't make it. So that, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Marek Madness, do come and check us out for that on Thursday nights in Marek or March. Uh, what else? do we have coming up here that we should talk about? I think, so we only got one person typing the word food bank in the chat tonight. So uh, Mary, I actually, I owe you an email already, Mary. So why don't you and I, we'll pick this up over email at some point over the next little while. And uh, here, Chris, you unmute. I didn't get any one-sided dice with all my nerdy dice. (laughs) (laughs) That would be, that would be a very nerdy die. Wouldn't it? The old one-sided, you don't see that very often. Just um, choose a, a die and keep rolling it till you roll a one. So, you know. <laughs> uh, well, is there anything else that we should or mention? You could to just our... you could just have Jim roll a die, and we'll. That's sure true. Get a you one. could have have me roll any die, and uh, yeah. we know we're going to get a one. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Mary, for uh, typing that in there. Um, I want to remind our listeners that we're in the middle of the Australian invasion right now. Uh, we've got a couple more Australian guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, uh, which is going to be uh, some fun listens there. We've got some more prizes to give away. And I think I, I think I teased this last week, but we are upping the caliber of the prizes that we're giving away on the show here, uh, thanks to some of our fantastic learning partners. Um, of course, a month at Rec Poker Premium will be available for all of our community members and guests that come to show up. But if you are a premium member already at Rec Poker, you're going to be able to win some pretty cool stuff, um, starting with this free month of Range Trainer Pro. So we'll put that we'll put that on the table uh, next month. 
Well, then I think I simply have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino for everything that they do to support us. We're so appreciative. Um, our premium members that we could not survive without. Uh, Brendan Ruby was a great guest and fun to talk to him. Um, John Somsky, Troy Chapman, Roger Schutte, Rob Washam, Chris Jones, and you, the listeners. Thank you so much for all your support, and we'll see you again next week. Night, folks.